Everyone's running over the hills, running up the streets, jumping in planes, jumping in helicopters. Everyone's running to listen to today's episode of the Unified CXM Experience. And as always, I'm your host, Grad Khan, CXO or Chief Experience Officer at Sprinkler. And I'm really, really excited about today's show. I have a guest, um, a special guest. Uh, her name is Ardith Alby, and she is the CEO of Marketing Interactions, and she is a B2B marketing strategist. Now, if that sounds familiar, you think, geez, Ardith Alby, that sounds so familiar to me. That means you're a loyal listener of the Unified CXM experience, and you've just won a special prize. Um, come on by my house the other day, next tomorrow, and I'll give it to you. And <laughs> that could end badly. Uh, anyway, so um, the reason that name sounds familiar is that we did an episode not long ago. It was episode 172, uh, where we talked about a fantastic article that Ardith had written uh, called The Blandscape of B2B Marketing Content Needs a Bit of Emotion. And she went through this for the nine ways that B2B could get uh, more emotion. And I deconstructed that um, in a very loving way and kind of like just thought it was a great article. And I thought the way that she landed on emotion was great. But particularly what I loved about the article and what I loved about Artist's perspective was it had this um, gently contrarian um, of point of view that poked at sort of the tropes of the category. So um, that's what we did. We just, and I, I had never met her. I just read this article, thought it was so amazing. I did a show on it. Um, we then reached out and somehow got connected to Ardith and today she's on the show. Uh, so um, hopefully she's not here to yell at me about what I said about her article, but we're gonna, we're gonna introduce her in a second and then we're gonna actually talk, maybe touch on the article a little bit, but what we're really gonna do is talk about some new topics that she's got on her plate, which I'm uh, super excited about as well. So welcome to the show, Ardith. Thanks so much, Brad. It's a pleasure to be here. And no, I actually enjoyed your uh, review right. of my article. So you did a great job. All right. Okay, good. I appreciate that. I appreciate it. You don't have to say that, but that's good. Um, so um, before we get going, because we're going to get into some really good B2B content stuff here, uh, some people may want to get in touch with you after. What's the best way for them to connect with you, send you a message? Yeah. Uh, Best way would either be through my website, marketinginteractions.com, on LinkedIn um, under Ardith Albee, and or you can email me directly at ardith at marketinginteractions.com. That's great. That is a great thing about LinkedIn these days. I must say, LinkedIn has become a spectacular social network. It's just amazing how good it is. It can get to anybody now. It's I find LinkedIn is a much superior way of getting to people than any other method I have now. It's amazing. I mean, just even friends and stuff for people I've lost touch with and stuff. It's just amazing. So, okay, great. So that was great. Um, so now let's talk a little bit about some, some new stuff. So before the show, um, we were talking a little bit about this concept of customer centric versus buyer driven. And we've actually done a few shows, um, probably back about six months or so ago around the concept of buyer enablement. And there's a great quote from Gartner, uh, and it goes along the lines of, um, the only thing harder than selling enterprise software is buying enterprise software, which I think is just a great quote because I have actually had the um, pleasure of buying a fair amount of enterprise software over the years. And it is really difficult because there's a combination of trying to sort of 
deconstruct the acronyms and the space and try to understand there's a lot of overlap between enterprise solutions and then you know making a decision and then most importantly defending that decision internally um, you know, sometimes with friendly peers, but sometimes with opposition peers who want to want you to fail and want that to be a bad decision and making sure you're sort of skin tight and ready to fight on those things is really tough. So uh, let's talk a little bit about the journey, buyers, just share some of that perspective and then let's just kind of frickin' fact on it. Yeah, well, <clears throat> just for a little bit of context, um, I spent the, well, I guess it was a week before lockdown for COVID hit, I agreed to become the interim VP of marketing for one of my clients called Modus, and they have a sales enablement platform. So I spent the next year and a half, not really interim, I was kind of like, yeah. let me out of here. That's but, like the um, average tenure yeah. of a CMO, just for perspective. <laughs> I know, but I, I was kind of like, okay, guys, really, I'm a consultant, you know, <laughs> yeah. need to do that. but for a year and a half, I, I worked on that. And and what happened was the, the first great thing that happened is I've been a consultant for a long time. And so a lot of times I go in and I create personas and strategies and then I go away and they execute. And the only way I know if it works is because they come back for more. So getting my hands on the systems, getting to run programs all the way through and strategies and execute, that was great. Proved that uh, what I'm doing actually works. if It's executed well. But the thing that became the real query for me over that time that I've continued to think about is um, with sales enablement, what I saw with a lot of the customers and, and um, even with our own salespeople is that we were focused on what we wanted, mm. right? So it's like, we've got to hit our number at the end of the month. We've got to get so many people in the pipeline to convert enough revenue. We've got it. It was all about us and the interest in learning about our buyers and customers was really so we could figure out how to manipulate them, if you will, into moving through our funnel, our process, without a whole lot of regard to what they wanted. And since the time that I left there, um, was it last summer, I guess, um, and went back to consulting, I've been doing a lot of thinking and diving into this and looking at why is it so hard for us to be buyer driven? Mm. Now we've heard customers or companies talk about customer centricity for a long time and they all claim to be customer centric. That's the yeah. new thing, right? I've We're never run into anyone in my entire career who hasn't said we care about our customers. Like it's, it's people have always said that that's it's, you know, customers number one, I think it was a Ford slogan in the seventies. Like it's like people always say that. I think the difference is whether they deliver on it. And this is like your point, right? Like you can say one thing, but you can act a different way. So my latest article that's out is titled why customer centric doesn't mean buyer driven. And um, what really got me on this role was um, an article written by Augie Ray at Gartner, who talked yes. about the fact that we've taken customer centricity and uh, you know, applied it in the way I said, focused on how do we drive more profit and growth for our companies rather than how do we help our buyers and our customers, which is truly what customer centricity should wow. be. Right, and right. so That's I started so really, yeah, it's, it, I mean, when you think about it. That is so profound. Wow, you just, holy smokes. You're right, because internal discussions in the company are always about what we want to do and how we want to grow and how big we want to be, 
what if the mission and vision of the company was what we wanted our customers to accomplish and what we wanted our customers to do? Holy smokes. Well, and, okay, and that's a big unlock. It, well, yeah, and when you think about it, how have we always talked about the buyer's journey? Well, there's awareness, and then they consider everything, and then they buy something, you know? Right. What buyer have you ever met that said, well, geez, right now I think I'm about to cross over from awareness to consideration. So that <laughs> means I need this kind of content. Nobody, right. you know, and so it's, but the other thing in um, doing a lot of uh, exploration and talking with people like Sharon Drew Morgan, I don't know if you know who she is, but she does a lot of work on buying facilitation. And what you discover is buying has really changed management. Right. So it's or change enablement, whatever you want to call it. And so the process of choosing to change rather than stick with status quo is a huge lift. Right. That has to take place before you can actually become a buyer. In fact, Hank Barnes from Gartner wrote recently about the one thing you need to know about your customer or your buyer is their willingness to change. Otherwise, you don't have a sale. You never have a sale. Because if they're not going to change, they're not going to buy. And But there's all of this stuff that has to happen before they can actually say, yes, we're buyers and go out and buy something. We don't help them with that. We assume that they've already decided to buy, which they have because we don't help them. And so, you know, the type of information we provide to them is based on our products, our features, our feeds and speeds, our whatever, who cares, you know, and it's about how minimal, what minimal amount of information or even let me dump all this information on you so you have enough to make this decision to buy. But it's not actually about helping the buyer facilitate that process. We don't allow them the ability to choose. And so if you look at further Gartner research, um, buyers are overwhelmed. 77% of them say, my last buying experience sucked, man. It was mm. awful. It was frustrating. I It took longer than it should have. And, you know, we're up to what, nearly half of all buying journeys ended no decision now. Really? In fact, it's so I've never prevalent. Heard that yeah. In fact, I have for the first time ever, a client called me up and said, hey, Arden, we need a nurturing program for all of our opportunities that we've lost to no decision. They haven't bought anything, but they're not talking to us anymore and they're not moving forward. So we want this program to actually nurture these lost opportunities and get them back into conversations about becoming our customers. And so when you look at that, it's a totally different proposition, right? They already know you, they already know they have the problem, they have already been educated about the product, so what kind of information are we going to give them now? Where are the gaps? What did they get during their buying process that left them unable to mm. choose to move forward? How are we going to facilitate that? And it's kind of an interesting um, project to work on and, and dive into that and look at, okay, here's all the stuff that they were given before. Then they got into talks with their sales reps, and now they've chosen not to move forward. Well, how are we going to get them back? You know, how do we have them reverse that decision and give them whatever it is they didn't get the first time to actually choose to move forward? And oh, so, you know, it, it's just an interesting exploration into, you know, as more and more, what is it like 77% of buyers now say 
we want to be self-reliant. We're going to do our own research. We don't want to talk to you people. All you care about is selling us stuff. We're going to go do our own research, you know, and figure it out ourselves. And they relegate very little time to vendors. And they don't want to talk to salespeople. And so now as marketers, we have this huge opportunity to step up and say, okay, how do we make buying better for these people? How do we help them want to talk to us? How can we provide something so valuable? They say, give me more. And, you know, to me, that's a huge step for marketing, where marketing has always been kind of looked at as this support function for sales. But during COVID and everybody going online, that shifted because how do they engage with their company online? Marketing provides content, the website, the whatever, you know, the events, the webinars, all of that stuff. And so, but how do we make it better? It still pretty much sucks. You know, a lot of content is so bad. And which is why I wrote the Blandscape article, right? It's just awful. And so we need to talk to people like humans, for gosh sakes. But, um, you know, so there's all this stuff going on and I'm in this big exploration of what do we have to do to actually become buyer driven? Okay, so let me jump in on a couple of things. So we have a couple of themes on the Unified CXM experience that uh, I kind of hammer on pretty repetitively. Hopefully not irritatingly, but just repetitively. And one is about this concept of the zero moment of truth. Uh, I'll talk about that in a second. And the other one is about the idea that uh, there's a Gartner stat that 60%, this I think supports what you've been saying over the last couple of minutes, that 60% of first-time visitors to your B2B website have already decided to buy. To, like, to buy. Right. Uh, and so... But what I really enjoy about talking to you and your in your reading your articles is that, like, I kind of get into a track on these things, and I'll I'll explain my track in a second. But you're like you've got a wonderful double click of like yeah 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 kid, but you got to go a little deeper, kid. You know, because I can really I really like that. So I want you to help me go deeper on these things. So let's do the first one. So the zero moment of truth is that um, is some concept that Google you know, probably about uh, a little more than 10 years ago, pioneered. They've been building out all sorts of zero moment of truth journeys for different industries. And if you go to the Think with Google zero moment of truth site, or ZMOT, you'll find them. And they've done, I think, an extraordinary job. It's been reasonably, I mean, reasonably unrecognized. I say, consider the scope of the work. And I think the dramatic nature of it, it's not talked about nearly enough across general marketing circles. I do run into people all the time that heard of it, but it's not something that is as common as I think it should be. And what I what I do find though, that's so where I go with it is I go, hey, everybody, you're under investing. And, and this will be a B2B conversation right now because there's a B2C point to this as well, but we're gonna ignore that for a minute. Uh, but on the B2B side, I'll say you're under-investing in review sites like G2 Crowd and Captera, Trust Radius, et cetera. You're under-investing in analysts. You're not doing enough t- uh, total economic impact reports. You're not doing enough um, briefings and policy. You're not buying enough time with them. Uh, you're not you know, using them to help you understand the business. So you're under-investing in like, the Gartners and Foresters and the Constellations and people like that. I say Constellation in particular gets more under-invested than should be. And then you're also under-investing dramatically in working with influencers. Mm-hmm. Just companies ignore them. Uh, and these influencers are directing people to all sorts of different things. And 
everything about chiefmartech.com that all started basically as an influencer site has turned into a very important b2b information site so that but that's i think where i stop right so because i'm because like right now i i find that people are they're so not doing those things that i'm i'm just kind of on a i'm on a single click to like we got to sort of focus this way because people are doing the research Go a little deeper with me here, okay? So take take me down the path of yeah, yeah, that's right, but you got to think about this because you you actually corrected me a little bit earlier because I was kind of like, hey, the website doesn't matter, but you're like, no, 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 the website matters. So so take me through like how I should be thinking about Zmod in a deeper way. Well, first of all, I think the website does matter, and you know, research will show that it's you know pretty much number two, number three resource for B2B buyers. And a lot of that, and, and remember, I'm focused on highly complex sales. Most of my clients sell, mm-hmm. you know, million dollar solutions or at least several hundred thousand. And there's a lot to learn. You can't learn that without visiting websites. And you're going to look, be looking at solutions. One of the biggest problems is you look at one solution, you think, this is really great. Look at all the features, look at the stuff it has. Then you look at another one, it's like, but this has mm-hmm. different features and different stuff. How do I reconcile that? What's more important to me, right? And so this is when buyers start getting overwhelmed with information. And it's because we're focused on the products themselves instead of talking to people about what do they need to be able to accomplish, right? What are the outcomes they need to get to? And once you get that, then it's easy to say, well, if this is what you want, these are the things that will help you get there. And so, but I think, so I I don't think buyers can buy without going to the website. I agree with you that influencers, review sites, all of those things are hugely important. And I'll tell you one of the struggles with the review sites is think about how much we ask of our customers, right? We want them to do testimonials. We want them to speak at our user events. We want them to do case studies. We want, you know. We want them to be on webinars, whatever it is we want from them, and they're busy, and so they get overwhelmed. And so I remember when I was interim VP running campaigns trying to get customers to go to G2 or Gartner Peer Insights or whatever and leave a review. And it's, you know, it gets to be overwhelming for them. They don't know what to say, you know, and... um, but I agree, review sites are important. More people are looking at them and valuing the information because they don't trust what vendors say anymore. Vendors have their own agenda. It's one of the reasons I you know, talk about customer centricity and we're using it for our own benefit rather than for our buyers and customers. You know, We figured out it was a tool for us to get what we want instead of helping them get what they want. So, but I think well, another another guest that I've had on the program before is someone named Yoli Chisholm. Uh, she's a CMO at a company called Then. They do um, kind of a competitor to Citrix, mm-hmm. and um, but but local, so it's faster than Citrix. And so uh, Yoli had this concept called the consumerization of enterprise software, which is occurring in a sort of several modalities. One is on interface. And I'd say ServiceNow probably really innovated there. ServiceNow created an incredibly easy-to-use interface. That is part of the magic of ServiceNow and gave them the competitive edge they needed against BMC and SAP uh, and HP. Uh, and then, um, but it's also happening uh, in, the, in, the, in the buying space, right? So um, people are reading reviews like they read a review to see a movie or they read a review to 
buy toilet paper or they read reviewed to buy anything like i don't buy anything on the reading reviews now so so the now people are obviously want to read reviews on the the software itself and they want to go through a not dissimilar buying process in enterprise software to what they've been trained to do on and everything else and i think that's that's kind of where you're going with this as well yeah it is but it's you know i think if we're going to say websites are important or if i'm going to say that um i think we need to look at what our website presents I don't yeah. know where this top nav thing came where everybody has solutions, products, resources, whatever. And we split everything up across based on format um, or what have you. So it, we are expecting our buyers to come out and do all this work to try and put the pieces together. So it's like, when's the last time you went to a website and said, well, I think I want to read a white paper about X today. So you go to resources and there's their white paper section. Let me go through right. and choose one. And then it's like, oh, I want to learn more about this. Well, geez, would I find that under video or maybe on the blog or is there a case study about it? And they're all in different places. What's Where's the problem to solution journey represented on our websites? How are we creating these pathways for people to educate themselves and drive their own experience, give them the information they need to put the pieces together? Instead, we expect them to figure it out. And all the while, there's this big request demo button flashing in their <laughs> face, right? And so it's, it's just confusing to me. I can't quite figure out why it's become the standard and why we can't change it. I'm seeing some of it start to change. Sometimes you see areas for specific roles um, and things like that, but it, it's just, it's underlaying that main structure of what everybody has come to know. And I don't know. Well, we all copy each other, I think, is probably what's going on a little bit. And then what, have, do you think anyone's doing it really well? Have you seen one and went, oh, finally, someone's nailed this? No. <laughs> no. Wow. That's compelling. That's a big opportunity there. So could you, do you have enough clarity? And if the answer is no, I would understand because this is not, this is a non-trivial point you're making. But do you have enough clarity that if I were to say, you know, what would be the three things I should do differently on my B2B website? Are you able to sort of start to enunciate that yet? Or are you, are you still in that exploration stage of, I know we're not doing it correctly because that's not the way buyers work? Well, I, I think we could create content hubs. I don't think you'll ever get rid of the top nav because you'd have to get an executive order from God to overwrite the, the VIPs that say, no, you have to leave it this way. Um, it's right. one of the, I've been through this fight many times. There's too many owners of a corporate website, all fighting for territorial reasons and whatever. But I think there's right. ways you can enable buyers and create experiences within your website that make sense. The other, okay. the biggest thing, in my opinion, is could we just talk like humans? You know, I mean, why? And I made this point in the landscape article. Why is it that we are so academic that we're using all this jargon and acronyms and fluff? And it there's it's tough to read. You know, why can't we talk like humans? And I think that would be a huge step forward in just creating something that's engaging and fun to experience. I mean, I don't know about you, but I have a hard time thinking about the last time I went to a at least a technology vendor website and enjoyed the experience you know um every once in a while there's some great content you know gong and self-disclosure as a client but they have some you know engaging content because they don't get too stuck on themselves 
So what you see is this mm. this um, difference between the very mature companies like an IBM or a, even a Cisco or or whatever versus these new tech unicorn companies like Gong um, and others that aren't too stuck on themselves and they're kind of having a personality and putting a stake in the ground to try and be more engaging and more human. And it mm. makes a difference. Um, but they, I was just participating in a conversation on LinkedIn yesterday where a friend of mine had asked a bunch of us, what's the most unpopular opinion you have about content marketing? Ooh, and nice. a bunch of people weighed in on Ashley Zuckerman's post. Um, and it was just interesting how much video stinks and is terrible. Um, you know, somebody else weighed in on they um, don't buy into the advice that you should not build on rented land. Right. And said we need to put content where our customers are, whether that's our website or whether it's somewhere else. Right. And I agree with that, um, you know, but a, a lot of people chimed in and said content marketing basically sucks. It's terrible. It's not worth reading. It insults our intelligence. You know, it's just pumped out by somebody paid to produce a piece of content and there's too much noise. And, you know, my biggest point was most people don't understand what content marketing is. It's not a campaign. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have a start stop date. You know, it's ongoing and focused on what buyers need and this and that and it never leaves you hanging there's always what's next right so you can get to continue moving on and michael brenner popped up and said it's the difference between people think they're doing content marketing but actually what they're doing is marketing with content think about that Ooh. totally different look at the contrast in that yeah. That's a great one. I love that. That is awesome. Well, you know, one of my favorite, it's going back a bit now too, but one of my favorite content marketing, maybe you could call it a campaign, but content marketing motions was the definitive guides from Marketo. And, and I was, uh, is, uh, about 2011, 2011, 2012. And I was building out the beginnings of the MarTech stack at Microsoft. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and we didn't have any kind of marketing automation. We had just, we were just using exact target and we were doing, you know, kind of like automated email setups, but it was super duper complex when you just did it in exact target. There were like 10,000 different strings, like literally. <laughs> yeah. And so it was and once you set them all up and it was quite an effort to set them all up, but to edit them was, was impossible. So, so we started looking into marketing automation and it was hard to understand. There was a lot going on in the field at that time. And there was a lot of confusion and those definitive guides that Marketo did were amazing because they, they were, I actually had my team read each one of them mm -hmm. and they actually educated us as a team on modern marketing and where things were going. And it totally changed the game. And I was, I've always been super grateful to Marketo for doing that because they were chunky, useful, but designed in a compelling and easy to read way. And I, I don't sure why there's not more like that. I think LinkedIn's done a good series too. Uh, there's some really good stuff that LinkedIn's done, but it's, it is a bit few and far between. And I think potentially because people job it out um, sometimes to other countries and they just, you're right to your point, they crank out stuff. Uh, I think they've got 
uh, the little bit of, I mean, I'm not going to say anything bad about HubSpot because I think they're doing some brilliant stuff, but um, I think HubSpot has promoted an ideology that you turn your content into a honeypot and if you create enough keywords and sort of jumble them up on your site, eventually what will happen is people will come to your site for free because you've got this giant pot of content on it, which is true. Um, but I think that may have, <laughs> like, have like all good ideas that get dysfunctionally applied, I think that may have led to this sort of ideology where people just like, if I can just write enough and load it into my site, you know, I'll get organic traffic and not maybe paying any attention to the quality of it. So yeah, well, 51% percent of, of, of buyers told Gartner that the vendor content they've seen is totally useless. Think about that. 51%. Wow. 51. So, you know, so, but it, so let's come back to the website. So if you're redoing the website, what are you doing differently? You're, and let's just say, let's just say for a second, God, God didn't have anything else to do that day and did come down and say, you can make the def you can design the website any way you want. Um, what would you do from scratch? If you just built a, we'll call it the ABC B2B company. How would ABC B2B company build its site? Hmm. I don't know. That's a challenge. I've built so many different ones, but I think it's um, providing choice and pathways. And I, I think you have to do it that way. You know, um, I rebuilt Modus's site. And one of the things I did was, you know, I we created capabilities, benefits, um, why choose Modus, pillar content. That, that was our top nav, right? We did it a little differently. And then when you landed on that top landing page, it presented you with the different options. Like on capabilities, it was... Um, or benefits, it was divided up between the different roles, what they get, and then took you down a pathway to get information based on, you know, whether you were in marketing ops, whether you're a sales rep, whether you're a sales leader, um, business operations, whatever, marketing, and what was in it for you with, with the platform. So we tried to create these different pathways. We tried to create stories within the website so that it was interesting and give people places to go. And so I, I think there's um, a lot you can do there. And we minimize the focus on the solution brief material. I mean, it's there, but it's not front and center like you usually see on most corporate sites. And um, it must still be working because it's still up pretty much the way I built it <laughs> before I left, which is so it's a good sign. A year and a half later, but, still going. Um, you know, but I, I think... I think it's interesting going back to your um, definitive guide thing. John Miller's excellent. Mm -hmm. I've known him forever, and he was, you know, oh, when yeah, he started that whole thing. Well, demand base. I don't know if you saw it um, last week. I think it was. It's either last week or the beginning of this week. I think it's the beginning of this week. Just launched the rebrand, which John ran, and it's all about um, go to market, smarter go to market, and they're doing a new series mm -hmm. of guides. Right, based on um, the demand-based story about go-to-market. So that's the new version of this that's coming out, and they've done some cool videos around it. They had a, a three or four-hour event around it that I participated in um, for a bit. Really well done. And so John was a mastermind behind the definitive guides that Marketo put out, you know, as co-founder and CMO, and. Uh, course demand-based acquired his newer company and Gaggio and 
now he's CMO there. Um, but anyway, so there's new stuff coming out along those lines that I would encourage people to look at if they want to see what a good guide looks like. Um, but now I forgot what else, where else I was going. Well, while you're thinking, I was, I was actually talked to him several years ago now when I was at Microsoft. Um, he had started Engagio and it just is maybe a year old at the time. Uh, and uh, we had built a pretty good relationship with Marketo. And in fact, I think at that time, and I think maybe even still today, Microsoft is Marketo's biggest customer. So, and, and had actually spent a lot of time with Marketo's engineering team to get, help scale their application to Microsoft scale. Um, but we were talking to John and um, uh, we were in, in a meeting with a number of my peers and they had just raised, I can't remember the number, but at the time it seemed like a lot of money. It probably isn't at this time, but at the time it seemed like a lot of money. And I actually said sort of somewhat innocently, like I wasn't trying to be challenging, but let's say they just raised a hundred million dollars. So it'd be something like that on, on an, on a company that hadn't even, didn't even have really code yet. And I said to, to John, I said, how did you like legitimately asked, how did you raise a hundred million dollars on a company that's still building its first code? And we were talking about, you know, being an early stage partner and he goes, well, you know, once you start Marketo, you can start other things. Yeah. You can pretty much do anything you <laughs> so, want. Uh, okay. That, that's an excellent answer. I, that answered the question completely. Um, uh, but yeah, no, he's, he's a pretty amazing person. Um, so yeah, let's, let's, well, I'll check out demand base. That's good. But do you, um, so let, let's coming, coming back to this. I have tried and it is hard because of all the many forces, but I have tried to always try to make the website a source of sort of independent information. Right. Like, you know, here's a really interesting slide from Mary Meeker's Internet Trends Report that help you understand. Or here's a really like, just to try to help people frame the opportunity in the context of being able to defend to their peers the decision that they made. Right. And one thing I, I've never done successfully because it's just it's too heretical, I guess, maybe it's I've, I've always wanted to like draw up a category map and say, this is how, these are all the players in the category, the quotation marks, competitors and ourselves. This is how we all kind of fit together where we overlap and where we're different. And this is why you'd want to buy us instead of one of them or buy us and them. Because I think the, the monotheistic sort of approach, I'm very religious today. I think you said God, and I've just been going down that path. I'll be banging a proclamation on the front door like Martin Luther pretty soon. Um, anyway, so the monotheistic approach of most of these websites is such that they they make it confusing because to your point, you made this point a few minutes ago, the buyer is forced to stitch together the story. They're, 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 so they lean more heavily because that's hard. They lean more heavily on the analysts. So that kind of pulls them into a sort of a third party view. But even the analysts have got some confusion and this is not meant as a criticism, but you know, they do sure spin up a lot of magic quadrants and waves, right? And there's, I really would love to see one sort of master MarTech, you know, quadrant, you know, here's the best stack you could build, or, you know, here's how to think about stacks, but no one's really done that. You know, chiefmartech.com sort of does the stackies and they talk a little bit about, you know, how many vendors there are, but, that's a little bit tongue and cheeky and not really recommendy, but I do think there's an opportunity for vendors to be like more helpful. 
yeah. and enable the buyers to sort of choose. But how do you how do you do that? How do you get people to agree to put competitors on your own website? Well, it's funny you should bring this up. I was listening to Brent Adamson um, talk, uh, I don't know, a month ago or so. He shared this case study about just that. And so there was this case study for this company they worked with, and they didn't have a ton of resource. Right? They couldn't create tons and tons of content. What happened was one of their competitors put out this piece, like let's call it the definitive guide to something, right? It was really good. And what they decided was, we have no prayer in heck of reinventing this wheel. So we're going to use our competitor's piece. And what we're going to do oh. is say, this piece put out by so-and-so, our competitor is really good. Here's how our wow. point of view differs from theirs. Like they annotated the competitor piece? Not on it, but what they did was they used it in sales conversations. And what they said was, our point of view differs in these ways. We believe all this information is valid and very good for you to consider. Yeah. But here's how we look at it. And they put a slight, slight twist on it. And they used their competitor's content that was professionally produced. It had to cost a lot of money. The beautiful piece. And they put their spin on it. But what it did was, one of the things that Gartner talks a lot about is overwhelming people because they have too much information, right? Buyers say there's too much. Right, we can't right, deconflict right. it because we don't understand which vendor should we believe. These guys took all of that out right. of the process and said, hey, our competitor created this really great piece. So we want you to read this, but when you do, we want you to consider this point of view in contrast to their point of view. So the information wow. they're giving you is great, but just consider it with this twist. And what they did was they were successfully stealing people from this competitor because their point of view resonated awesome. better, but they were actually using that competitor's piece of information. And they didn't have to pay for content creation or anything else. They came across as being extremely trustworthy because they're saying, here's this competitor's piece of information. Just, you know, think about it with the spin on it, you know, and they weren't dissing at their competitor. They were saying, hey, they have a really valid point, too. Here's how we look at it. Right. And so but they actually wow. started using their competitors content. And then they then they found some other pieces that that competitor had written that they could speak to. And they just started using their competitors content. I think it's brilliant. Why the heck would you? It's brilliant. It is brilliant. Wow. I love that. It wouldn't be wouldn't it be fun to actually take the competitor piece and then like just basically right on top of it, like kind of annotate and sort of draw circles and sort of make comments and agreed, agreed, agreed. But think about it this way, like to almost like take it as the base and then add on top of it. Cause that would be, what a great way to sort of contextualize. And it stuff. helps huh. um, buyers look at two solutions side by, you know, and you conflict that information yeah. where it's like, which one should we believe or whatever they can see them right on top of each other, right? And yes, we're saying all this information yeah. is valid, so good point, but have you thought about this? And Almost doing the research uh -huh. for and them. So, you know, these are the three things you should be looking at. Interesting. Salesforce, it reminds me, it's a slightly different, but it reminds me of a technique that Salesforce used against us at Microsoft when we were selling Dynamics. So Dynamics is the CRM, um, an engagement platform now for Microsoft. It's changed a lot over the years. Uh, and um, uh, and Salesforce, of course, you know, the CRM solution that kind of became famous as the cloud CRM solution. And what was, and this was probably about 2000 and like the 
kind of pre-Dynamics 365 world. Uh, so at the time, Microsoft was using mm -hmm. Siemens as its backend CRM system and selling Dynamics. And so nice vulnerability there, right? And so what Salesforce would do is they would go into an account and they would say, and this was, part was brilliant, I thought. They would say, uh, let me show you how I got the meeting with you today. And then they would go into Salesforce and show the prospect, like their record, like how they found them, you know, what their, the whole thing like right there and showed how it all happened and all came together and then talk through how they could do the same thing for their customers. Right. That's really powerful. powerful. But then yeah. they laid this wonder, oh yeah, super powerful. And people have forgotten that Salesforce did this really well for a long, long time because Salesforce always ran on Salesforce. And, um, and then they, then they started doing this other thing where they would, they created this content production studio in India where they could go in and show a demo of the customer, what the customer CRM implementation would look like. That was pretty robust and they could crank those things out in two weeks. It was amazing to see what they did there. And it was very, it made it so easy for the customer to visualize what their experience was going to be like. Cause they were shown exactly what it was going to be. They weren't trying to like think about what it would be like. They were like, here it is. This, this well, is what you'll be using. It makes a right? difference because it this... addresses their context. It simplifies, you know, all these imaginings about what it's going to be like to implement or whatever. Right. And it, it just is relevant to them. Those are three of the top things you need, you know? And then they laid this amazing trap for us. So, so they would do this, you know, let me show you how I got the meeting. They use Salesforce to sell Salesforce. And they'd say, when the Microsoft rep comes in, ask them to show you your record in Dynamics. Knowing that the Microsoft rep couldn't because they were using Siemens. Mm. Needless to say, this is a few years ago, needless to say, Microsoft is now running on Dynamics. Okay. And in that, that's sort of gone away a little bit as a competitive advantage, but it's, it's still a, quite a competitive advantage. I'm actually surprised on a regular basis, how often, especially some of these unicorns don't use their own tech. Um, and, and that, it's always a little bit like shocking to me, uh, or even to sort of follow their own advice, right? Like they're like, they're like, you know, in some space, but they're using like the tools of an older space to try to do things. And so I think that, that to me is an interesting thing, but it's almost like, it's how do you, to your point, how do you make it as easy as possible for the buyer to imagine the scenario? How do you contextualize? How do you say, you're going to hear this in a minute. Let me tell you how to think about it this other way, right? Like that, that to me is, is key to making this category tick a bit more. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, but good luck convincing your executives to let you do stuff like that. <laughs> well, you did say God could get involved. So count on that. Well, you know, Ardeth, I am, I could go on all day with you. I am, I, in fact, if you don't mind, I think in the, the not so distant future, I'd love to do another show with you. And maybe as you produce more content on your end, um, we'll follow you or you can let us know or whatever. And like, we'll kind of keep bringing you back because I really love your perspective and you get, you get me thinking in new and different ways, which is very exciting for me because I, um, you know, I, I love to learn and you're helping me learn, which is fantastic. So thank you for that. So I'm going to kind of see if you've got any last thoughts. Um, and you know, just, uh, for anyone who's listening, um, Ardith is the, uh, CEO of marketing interactions, a B2B marketing strategist. 
and uh, you can reach her on LinkedIn uh, uh, or at her marketinginteractions.com website. Um, and so, Ardeth, any last thoughts or any more sort of, you know, any last bit of contrarian advice for people as they think about um, how they can optimize their business? And I, and I give you, I'll give you kind of a, a lead in on this, which is um, one thing I hear consistently uh, from a lot of different companies is that their funnel isn't working. Like there's a, there's a general problem in the B2B space that people are having trouble driving demand and getting leads. And so I, I, I love the fact that you're going down this different path because I think it points to part of the reason why it's difficult to get demand and drive leads. And uh, a contrarian point of view is often one that wins. So anyway, so any last thoughts or any last bits of advice for uh, people as they think about what they're going to do in their own B2B marketing yeah. world? Well, one of the things that I do that I've been doing for years is build personas, buyer personas, customer personas, mm -hmm. partner personas, advocacy personas, etc. But the thing that I've been watching year over year over year is one of the top challenges marketers have is understanding their customers, but they don't use personas or they build them, check the box and throw them in a drawer and say, okay, we did that. They don't use them. Well, how do you expect to become buyer driven or even customer centric for that matter, if you don't truly know and understand your buyers? The problem they have with driving demand is because they don't, if they do build personas, they build them based on a template without talking to their customers. They sit in a conference room eating pizza and say, yeah, it's Molly. She's 42 and has two dogs and drives a Volvo and, you know, earns $100,000 a year and blah, blah, blah. And who cares? You know, you actually have to talk to them. And so but the things you can learn are amazing and it will help you understand the questions they had, the steps they took, the pushbacks they experienced, all of those things that you need to be able to you know, help people make it through the funnel, as it were, their buying process. And it will give you the insights to become buyer driven because you'll understand what motivates them. What words they use, for example, is one of my favorite things. The questions they ask, right? That can just guide you right into your content strategy, right? So how are you gonna put your messaging mm -hmm. together? Well, look at what all these people said. And when you talk to enough of them, like I'll talk to 25, customers in a particular role to create a persona, you start hearing the same stuff again and again and again. And you know, those are the commonalities that they're all going to experience. And so if you really build those into your personas, it's hard to miss. You know, I mean, I don't, I just don't understand right now I'm working on a project for a company that doesn't have personas, nor do they have the budget to create them. And they're just kind of like, do this. It's challenging. It goes against everything I believe. I'm just well, kind of like, come on, give me some help here. No, I love that. I mean, you know, shocking as it is, talking to your customers can actually hey, lead to insights. Who knew? <laughs> <laughs> who knew? Wow, that's crazy. Wow, that, that can't possibly work. Uh, well, this has been so much fun. I have had so much fun getting to know you a bit better, and I'm looking forward to future interactions with you because I think this is the beginning of a journey for the two of us. So I'm really looking forward to working with you again. So Ardith, thank you very much. I'm going to close the show. And uh, for the Unified CXM Experience, I'm Grad Khan, CXO at Sprinkler. And today my special guest was Ardith Albee. She is the CEO of Marketing Interactions and she is a B2B 
marketing strategist and a wonderful contrarian to the accepted ways of thinking, which everyone knows aren't working anymore. So, um, Ardeth, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, for everyone else, uh, we will see you next time. <laughs>